You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. You been thinking about that? Start calling you my partner? Nope. Never thought about it. Probably because it sounds horrible. Probably won't think about it again. I'd appreciate it if you didn't. Yeah. Partner. <laughs> Hello and welcome, Teak Nation podcast listeners. It is Monday, April 12th. My name is Alex Swenson. My friend's name here is Donnie Aldrich. And Donnie, did you say amen at the corner this weekend? Man, if you if you don't know who Chris Vernon is, you have got to go to Twitter. You've got to type in Chris Vernon, V-E-R-N-O-N. The man, he now has all of the tour pros following him and commenting. That was a great run he had. I wish that he did some of his uh, antics on the weekend, but he is he has a weekday talk show, so he only does it during the weekdays. But I did say amen at the corner. I have my kids saying amen at the corner, and even my wife enjoying saying amen at the corner. How could you not? Yeah, Chris, uh, he's a great, great case study and somebody who I think had a very niche market. I, I didn't know much about him. He would show up on Twitter via retweet or quote tweet from time to time. Uh, much more of an NBA guy, Memphis guy, and uh, follows the Grizzlies, which, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies media is not real nationally prominent, but throws that green jacket on twice a year now and gets the bumblebees dressed up and gets old Spider-Man involved and goes to town. And now he's got the whole nation wrapped around his finger. I just, if you want to laugh and it obviously helps if you have a better understanding of who some of the professional golfers are playing in the masters, but even if you don't, there's still things that are entertaining, but, but knowing some of their backstories is when it gets funny because he gets into whether they've had incidents with cheating or they've had incidents with, you know, personal things in their life. I mean, he does his homework before he starts dropping some of those lines and then you know he just gets funny ones which uh, our master's champion Hideki Matsuyama call your mama <laughs> like that's just that's just funny yeah he uh he's def- it seems like he's plugged into the golf world pretty well but um but also like you said really can can span any number of sports or generations it's it's just good entertaining content so it's one way to go viral if you're if you're out there trying to figure out how to go viral well you can't do this now because it will be a direct rip off of Chris Vernon but um, you know, you find, find a little niche market and do put some, put some homework in and, and go to town and who knows what could happen. I, I, I'm sure his Twitter following his Instagram following his, his show. I mean, I started following him on Twitter as a direct result of his master's updates and, and I haven't regretted it. He's just a funny dude. So uh, a lot more to come for him, but it's how you go from Memphis Grizzlies uh, local market to nationally known individual overnight is by finding something funny and throwing it on the internet and letting the Twitter and Instagram world do the rest. He's got major companies that are that are seeing him. I don't know if you noticed this weekend. Footjoy had a tweet out, "What's going on in Augusta?" And it was mm. it was that they were the number one, you know, as normal, the number one ball shoe glove all that good stuff so but they led with what's going on what's going on at augusta and he retweeted it and gave some applause and some shout out so the man is entertaining has some good creativity again he's getting a free plug on this pod uh but huge. man that's when, huge for him when, when i uh, yeah i mean i'm sure he's just sitting he's gonna be sitting up when he hears this just fi- figuring he really is 
he's he's done it all once yep, once this right. is done. But I will say this: when I almost spit out my drink when he said Will Zalatoris sounds like a store at the mall. That was, and then they said next <laughs> to Lids and next to Spencer's, next to Spencer's. Like it was, it was good. His hype man on the background, he really adds some flavor too. That guy's got to get some credit. As far as the uh, the reason I think we're spending so much time on Chris Vernon is because the golf itself. Uh, well, well, we'll just say it left a little bit to be desired. Obviously, the the champion was crowned Hideki Matsuyama and, and saw a picture this morning of him just rolling around with his green jacket draped over his shoulder through Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, which is pretty cool, actually, if, if you see him. But um, yeah, he, he played played four good days of golf, really two. Well, one really good day and then three pretty good days left the door wide open yesterday and, and no one could take advantage. All those guys at seven under going into the day and uh, even Spieth at five under you throw together a, a 69 or a, a 68 and you're right there in the mix, possibly winning the golf tournament. It just seemed like no one, no one had the juice to, to get to the top of the leaderboard. So all in all, definitely uh, not one of the most exciting masters. I saw a tweet yesterday that asked, you know, if, if it's possible that we lost everything for the 2019 masters and, and Tiger Woods come back and win, which after the last two may be possible, but uh, it was still good to see Augusta as always. Beautiful day yesterday, sunny, green, just it's the Masters. You can't beat it. Yeah. The, what was interesting about this Masters is no one played well consistently outside of Zalatoris, but he, right. he, he just posted a bunch of 69s and 70s, right? Justin Rose led most of the way. He had this phenomenal run on the second nine the first day but then from there he played he shot even in round two even round three and i think he might have been over par yesterday mm-hmm. so right he really didn't play that well outside of that one stretch uh even hideki as you said after the rain delay played well on saturday really went on a run there and then kind of carried it home and shuffle jumped up and then he jumped back and he, he, spieth just could not get any momentum going and so yeah it was a very very unique masters in terms of the ebb and flow and where folks were nobody really ever got too close to Hideki and then at the end he had that thing he had the e-brake on he was trying to get her get her to the house as as well as he could and he caught some bad breaks I mean that, that shot on 15 that he fired over the green I mean that thing hit perfectly on the down slope right normally mm-hmm. that if it's two yards shorter it hits in the back of the green just kind of trickles over the back and so once he hit that ball in the water that's where it started to get interesting because Shoffley almost hold it out of the bunker for eagle so so it was a overall Hideki, it's a great win for Japan. Golf is is already huge there. It's gonna it's gonna really explode now, and so it's it's a good thing for the world of golf. And but uh, hopefully we'll have some more exciting events in the future. And we got some great events coming up with the U.S. Open, the Open Championship. PGA. Yeah, golf's kind of golf's kind of the ultimate ultimate. He did what he had to do. Sport you can't really play conservatively football or baseball or basketball and and just do enough to get by and win you know you could liken it to maybe bleeding out the clock with a on the football field and you're up by up by five points and you're just running the ball three yards at a time and and picking up first downs and you don't really inspire confidence with a victory but you get it done but but even that you got to make some big plays and and in golf you can just put it on cruise control and and Hideki was up five six at some points yesterday and he won by one because he just kind of mailed it in and and did what he had to do but it's all the same green jacket does not get any greener depending on how many strokes you win by so 
uh, all in all, it, I guess it was good at the end to have a little bit of drama, but good to see Spieth play well, of course. Uh, none of our predictions really sniffed any. I mean, Spieth finished tied for third, but uh, that was that was kind of a waste, that little segment of, of predictions. I did myself personally make some money on the Masters this week, so I know uh, everyone will be happy for me and glad to hear that because our, our listeners want the best for us and and so that was uh, that was nice, nice part of the weekend for for Alex Swenson personally. Um, speaking of predictions and and shifting gears here, I am I'm very glad that we didn't actually take the time to make any predictions on the national championship basketball game. That we just, you know, if you go back to last, well, you don't have to go back and listen last Monday. You can just trust me, take my word when I say Donnie and I both hope for a strong game for both teams to play hard and and didn't didn't take any time to actually predict a winner. So um, that worked out well. And, and, you know, it wasn't exciting. Well, it wasn't an exciting game. Baylor absolutely throttled Gonzaga and just let, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fortunate that neither of us really went in and said, we expected Gonzaga to win much less win by a lot of points. Hey, you want to talk about wasted segments. Uh, anything that I said in that block around the national championship game was a real waste of energy yeah that was i mean i was i horrible. was as dead wrong as you can be expected a big gonzaga win instead baylor just laying it to them and so uh, we do have a group at, at baylor so excited for our chapter there to enjoy a little bit of success and baylor was phenomenal basketball team so they were they congratulations were. indianapolis was a big winner our, our hometown here big winner and excited to see how the tournament went and that every everything we were able to crown a national champion and people seem to have a good time we gotta get uh, we gotta get some tournament games in Hinkle in the future. They'll never do it because money, but uh, gotta gotta get some games in there. And and yeah, I would say Indianapolis overall did a great job. I would say that uh, Baylor was definitely the better basketball team. Uh, our good friends Kyle Erdman and, and Greg Halloran probably not feeling it. What's crazy is that feels like it was about two months ago. I can't believe that we're talking about it on this podcast because it happened a week ago tonight and it it just feels like so much has happened since then we we are talking about ancient history so if you're listening to this on wednesday or thursday it was even longer ago and you uh, by this point are aware that our predictions went woefully woefully wrong but uh the lot, lots happened since then mainly the masters which we already talked about but it just does not feel like it was only a week ago that championship game happened and now the NFL, you know, now, now that we're through the Masters and we're through the uh, the NCAA tournament, the NFL can regain its its rightful place atop the throne of the sports world. Getting into draft season, we don't have to go into it right now because uh, I might be the only one that cares about it of anyone that's interested in this podcast. But NFL is going to come right back on the radar, free agency, draft season, training camp, and, and we'll be right back into it. We do still have baseball going on. The MLB season's kicked off. Still have the NBA season going on, but the NFL is is probably more happy than anyone that we're through the NCAA tournament and it can hop right back into its position in front of our faces as often as it possibly can. That's right. Anything else, uh, any, anything else worth mentioning here before we get into rule of three? Have you mowed your grass yet? I have mowed my grass twice now. So yeah. Lot, yeah. lots of rain here in the Midwest. I'm guessing people aren't really interested in that in the podcast. So let's just jump into the rule of three. Man, there's there's got to be some dads out there that are interested in lawn care they can message us privately and we can have we'll a lot of dialogue have a, we'll, we'll do an instagram live for those dads 
All right, rule of three. Um, we're gonna. This is a little. We're gonna get a little deeper uh, on rule of three than we normally do. Um, this is actually a suggestion from our our friend Brian Bates. Reached out with a few thoughts on rule of three, and, and we like to bounce around. You know, re, you'll recall last week we did favorite candies, which is not deep at all, uh, and really pretty mindless. But new topic this week, rule of three. I would like to know what are three things that you wish you could tell yourself going into college. So 18 year old Donnie Aldrich getting ready to pack his bags and head to Franklin college from Terre Haute, Indiana. What are three things that you now wish you'd go back and tell that young lad? Yeah. One would be to, to take advantage of student organizations, relationships, meeting, meeting more people. And I think I, I was lucky enough that I got to do a lot of relationships. I got to meet a lot of people, uh, a lot of things that I was a part of, but could have done even more, right? We all tell ourselves how busy we are and it's one of those fun games we play with ourselves. So, um, but there was definitely other time that I could have found to be engaged in some other aspects or at least to learn more about different student organizations on campus or different professors or uh, the president of the college. I, I formed a great relationship that still exists with the Dean of Students, but I, I could have engaged more to learn more about uh, what was the new president at that time. Two would be to read more. I, I was not a big fan of reading when I was in college, but now I've come to understand and appreciate just how far it can take you. And three would be to take advantage of the time. Again, that's to me, that's the big theme that I see in college. It, you know, I have that conversation with a number of students that they talk about how busy they are. And I want to say, well, just imagine when you, well, I don't want to say, I do say, Imagine when you have three kids, a wife, and you're running an organization, how much time you have. So just the amount of time, even though uh, classes, playing a collegiate sport, uh, as well as being involved in the fraternity and other student organizations, there still was, was time there to, to take advantage of. And that's one of those things you never get back. So take advantage of, of the time that you have and creating even more memories and even more relationships. Very nice. Three, three good ones there. I, uh, I do not have any that are similar to yours. So that's good because we, we, we cross. Are yours going to involve food? Cause if they are, then yours is going to be no, far more. Well, a little bit, but not, not, in, not in the sense that you think they might. Uh, all right. Number one is, is in relation to that. So number one is take care of your body because people always talk about the freshman 15. For me, it was about a freshman 40 um, that I, in some ways I'm still paying for in other ways I've, I've bounced back and, and rebounded from it, but really going into college, you, you, a lot of people are, play sports in high school. They exercise, they have, you know, a, a weights class or strength and conditioning class. And then you get into college and it's, it's, everything's on the meal plan. Uh, you don't have any obligation to exercise unless you're actually playing a sport. And that's where the, the pounds start accumulating. So uh, it, I think you're, you're probably likely to gain weight regardless, but if you work in some sort of exercise routine, some sort of weightlifting routine to make sure that you're not eating pizza for uh, three meals a day, and then also hitting Little Caesars at 11 p.m. every night, it's going to go a little better for you. So uh, take care of your body, number one. Number two, I would say uh, don't worry so much about what people uh, – what people think about you who you don't really care about. I spent a lot of time in college worrying about the perception of other guys in the chapter. When I was president, you know, there were guys who frankly didn't make much of an impact on the, the group 
or didn't make much of an impact on me personally that I was worried if they thought I was doing a good job or if they liked me. Um, same thing for some of the other organizations I was in. I ran the radio station for a couple years. And it just, you look back on those things and you think, wow, I can't believe that I cared what this person thought about me. I can't believe that I cared that this person said that I was a bad president or I was a bad treasurer or whatever it was. So um, just let, let those things roll off, you know, find your circle, keep people close to you that care about you and that want the best for you and everyone else, um, for lack of a better term, they can, they can F off a little bit. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, is take some risks while you're in college, that's the time to do it. You have your whole life ahead of you. Apply for an internship out of state. Go travel abroad for a semester. Uh, go, you know, like Donnie said, meet new people, uh, build new relationships. Don't be afraid, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to stay in your bubble or paint yourself into a corner. Try different classes. Don't declare a major right away. Go a year or two and figure out what, you're li what you like, what you're interested in, and then and then take a risk and, and bet on yourself that whatever path you choose is, is going to work out for you. And if it doesn't, good news is you're only 22 years old. You still have time to figure it out. So um, that would be the last piece because I think looking back, I had an opportunity probably to take a few more risks than I did. And, uh, and I would just advise myself to use those opportunities to the fullest. All right. We, I mean, we got, we got deep with you there. Got a little vulnerable, opened up. Hopefully uh, you all enjoyed seeing that side of us. And if you didn't just comment and say, get back to rating candy bars and, and cereals in the rule of three. Yeah. I, I, the advice you gave there about worrying about other people's thoughts. I think there's no doubt that's a maturity piece, but the earlier that you can get into that headspace, the better it's just, it's it. What's funny about it is when you're, when you transition from high school to college, right. You think that your high school friends are going to be your friends forever. And, right? We're always going to do all these. And, and some people still do. My wife and, and a, a few of her high school friends still get together to this day. And that's great. But for myself and for many others, high school was uh, a time that you, in, you had all these relationships, but then you move away. And unfortunately, most of those relationships go away. So that to me was the leading indicator at that time that I should have, should have tied into that. Not all these people that you engage with are going to their opinion is going to matter the rest of your life. Same thing with college to, to your point. And so quicker you can get in that space where if you feel good yourself about the decisions you're making, the person you're becoming, and you're confident in that, that's, that's just a game changer. I mean, we know this, there's people still walking this planet who are 70 years old who still oh, haven't yeah. found that confidence. So, so it's one of those pieces in life that life gets a lot easier when you know who you are and, and start to understand your tendencies and you don't try to get away from those tendencies, whatever they are. Yeah, well, and, and here's the other thing about it. All of the things we just mentioned are gradual. They take practice and they take time. So we think a lot about hard skills, whether it's writing or speaking in public or shooting a basketball or running or whatever, whatever that tangible skill is. And of course, those things you can practice and you can get better at. We don't think about soft skills in the same way, but managing relationships, you know, telling people no, taking risks, things of that nature, those, those require practice and, and you do them and you're uncomfortable with them and then you do them a little more and you get a little more comfortable. So uh, it's a gradual buildup in a lot of those soft skills as well that you might just think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a confrontational person and I never will be. Well, you can build that skill. You can get better at it. You can practice it and all of those things, just because you're not good at them now, doesn't mean you're never going to be good at them. It's not a, it's not a one or a zero. It's not a binary 
thing. There's a spectrum uh, with all of those soft skills and, and you can improve on them and get better at them. And like Donnie said, the sooner you start that process and realize that you can build those skills, the quicker it's going to come along and, and the, the easier it's going to be to, to get those things moving in the right direction. Also, last piece I would say here is embracing the thought process that you're going to be a continual learner, right? When you're when you're graduating college, I know one of the first things you think about is I'm not going to have to take any tests anymore. I'm not going to have to right, sit through lectures and those types of pieces. And if you're not going to be a master's or grad student, you're right. You, you don't have to. But the opportunity that you have to continue to drive and push yourself, we have this discussion, you and I, Al, about membership in the fraternity, right, to, to draw some parallels around the fact that you become a new member, you get educated, you have this really great process that for some people is really the peak, is the new member ed process. And they get initiated and then there's nothing that the group doesn't do enough to keep educating you, to keep, you know, taking you along this journey of, of personal growth. And so when you, when you graduate college, right, a lot of that is on your own, whether you continue to, to develop and, or whether you unfortunately stay the same or start to take steps backwards. So it's a whole thought process of if you're not, if you're not growing, you're, you're dying. And, and there's a real, there's a real great opportunity out there for folks just taking baby steps in that, how can they keep developing into the person they want to be, or even just exploring who they are, and then they can start to find the areas that they want to make improvements on. Hard agree. Everyone's favorite segment here. Where in the world is Zachary Scott? And we're going to bring him in and, and just check in and make sure he's not moved from the corner of his house in Tampa. Just say, I hope all the listeners to the pod here understand that this is gonna we're gonna eventually get to a place where zach is going to be in different places we're not there yet but the day is coming where zach is actually going to be in different locations which is going to be an exciting day for not just our listeners but also for us right when this when the concept for this segment came about it was it was truly because zach is often on the move and traveling around the country and uh well he, he just hasn't so with that zach welcome it's it's good to see you uh you are just trimmed up beyond recognition, even, even from last week. So uh, I don't know what's going to, I don't know if next week is just all going to be gone, beard, hair, eyebrows, everything, or, or if you're going to keep it, keep it there for a little while, but it's good to see you as always. It's good to be seen. I, uh, I, I will say that I, I truly wish that I could be traveling around the country and, uh, and seeing some bright and shiny faces of, of our collegiate members, but this is, this is not, it. Not to this be. Not to be. Did you watch the Masters as you promised us you would? I did. I did. Um, on Saturday, I didn't watch the last round yesterday. Um, it also seemed like it was kind of out of reach at that point, but uh, a monumentous occasion, I would say. And obviously, it's all over social media, uh, but really, really awesome. It was a fun little, fun little golf tournament. You'll have, to, you'll have to check out some more golf tournaments in the future. Maybe, maybe. Even, maybe even pick up a club from time to time. You know, I, I actually have been talking quite a bit about, I need to learn the game of golf um, from a playing aspect. Oh, it's easy. Uh, so it's, it's crazy easy. It'll <laughs> take you no time at all. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be, it'll be uh, so simple for me to learn how to uh, get my handicap below hundred. <laughs> That's well, we'll, we'll get there. Um, uh, that could be, that could be less than two or three understanding the handicap system. So I, we, we don't usually uh, bring rule of three into this conversation, but we were talking about uh, the, the rule of three topic today was what do you wish you could tell yourself if, if you could speak to Zach Scott going into college? 
Um, and I'm just curious to get your perspective if, if there's anything, I know I'm, I'm laying this on you without any prep, but if there's anything that you could go back, you know, 18, 19 years old, getting ready to, to march off to University of Tampa, what do you know now that you wish you'd know then? Ants marching. Here we go. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think the biggest thing, it's something I tell uh, quite a few of the collegiates, right, is to get involved in other pieces, right? Um, when we're talking to people about recruitment, it's often get involved with other organizations because it develops more pipelines for you. But more importantly, it allows you to be more successful, right? It puts more things on your resume. Um, and that's what the fraternity should be about, right? Like this is assuming 18, 19 year old me, like I already know part of Teak and all that. But even without that, getting involved on, on campus, that's such a big piece. And it oftentimes get, it, for some, it, it's an immediate thing. And for probably most, it's, yeah, I don't know if I can fit that into my schedule um, or I don't know how much I can fit into my schedule. And I think maybe that's a, another subtopic, right, is figuring out that time management piece. But getting out there and engaged and involved, that's that's one of those things I think is most important uh, because, again, you're broadening your network, you're building your resume, you're finding ways to get connected. And there's no other, in my opinion, there's really no other reason to go off to school outside of, right, you get your diploma. But two, how are you connecting with other people and establishing that network for yourself long-term, that's a really big piece. Um, and yeah, I don't think it can be stated enough. Very good. That's uh, that's that's right along the lines of what our friend Frater Aldridge said as well. You guys are, you guys are locked in any, any fresh perspective you gained in the last couple of weeks, working with some groups here on second recruitments on things that are going on. I know we were on a, a call last night with the Frater's at Clemson university. So um I know you've been, you've continued to bounce around and help groups try and try and rush and try and educate their new members. What's, yeah, I think uh, what's for, the pulse out there? Yeah, I think for a lot of groups, right, it's get, getting the candidates into the system, right? Because now we're at the point where, unless maybe you're in a Northeast group where the recruitment's kind of got shifted or you're at a quarter school out, out West, I mean, your secondary recruitment is, is likely wrapped up. Um, and for a number of these groups, it's let's get the members into the system. Um, let's make sure that we're able to, to follow through on those promises, get them their, their new member education supplies, all of those pieces and be able to, to hold them accountable to our risk management training and some other things as well. But the, the other thing is whether your second recruitment, we've talked about this the last few times on the podcast, if whether your second recruitment went well or not, starting to prepare for summer, that's, that stuff starts now. Um, a lot of, I've talked to a lot of groups about this and a lot of alumni um, advisors Many students are making their decision for what university they're going to attend now for the last few weeks and will over the next couple of weeks. And it's important that we're reaching out to our guidance counselors from our old high schools, developing those pipelines, reaching back out to the family friends who are still in high school or who might know people who are coming to your university, whatever it may be, reaching out to even the, the advisors on your own campus to say, hey, do we have some form of network of where we can just talk about what it means to be an XYZ student, a Clemson Tiger? Like, do we have those connections to where we can start getting those conversations going? Most people are going to are already getting contacted or will be getting contacted in May about that, especially if you're coming from a campus where summer recruitment is a big piece. That stuff's happening now. How can we start to prepare? Um, and I think that I know you'd asked about the second recruitment, but starting to look ahead to next year's recruitment, it starts immediately. And again, that's whether you crushed it in your, your secondary recruitment and your first recruitment, or if it didn't go as, as you had hoped, it's finding ways to continue to, to move forward and continue that success that, that we know we're, if we work for it, we can get it. So Zach, one of the 
organizations that we've partnered with and I know that you've had a great relationship with is Fired Up. Can you talk a little bit about what Chapter Builder is? Because that's something that other other fraternities have explored. I know our fraternities continuing to explore, and I think it would be helpful for anyone tuning in, whether it be a volunteer, collegiate member, alumnus, what is Chapter Builder and how does it help our groups grow in the right ways? Yeah, so it's a, a customer relation uh, management software. And so you're able to, I mean, think of it in terms of our chapter module, right? You're able to upload individuals who you're making connections with, right? All these relationships you're building, you can create lists, um, you can create pipeline building tools to where people go in and they type in their information. You can get other people to type in information of their friends and get referrals. A lot of, a lot of resources, and I'll try and keep it um, lower level than that, but you use it to track the conversations that you're having with potential new members. And you can use this scale system that they've developed where you go A all the way down to Z if you want, and you put in different tiers for where you're at in that conversation, whether someone doesn't fit at all, whether someone has to be contacted, all the way to this person is a right fit, we gave them a bid, we got the bid accepted and signed. Um, and through this, this software, you're able to, again, have insights into what conversations your recruitment group or your chapter are having with these members. Because, right, if you're using it correctly, there's a, an ability for the paid service to use a phone number that uses the area code of where your university's at. And you can just send out texts from that without having to worry about your personal number getting tied into there, especially if you're sending thousands of texts at a big state school. Having those conversations and being able to see, okay, this is what's worked in the past for these types of students. This is what hasn't worked. How can we fine tune? It also allows us as a staff to be able to see, hey, pull up this. Um, I, I want to I want to talk about these ten conversations that you guys had last week um, as we're doing second recruitment, and so that way we can improve as we go into this summer and, and fall rush. Where what are the pieces that that we can improve upon? What are the pieces that we're doing really well, but we can just take it to that next level? Um, and it the biggest part of it is this an accountability tool and being able to, whether you're an advisor, whether you're a chapter preetness, whether you're a member of our staff, member of fired up staff, being able to see what's going on and provide that insight, provide some of that clarity and coach guys up. That's the, that's the, the pinnacle I think of, of what recruitment should be. Um, and again, having that insight where maybe as an 18 or 19, 20 year old, you're not really sure on what that comment about being direct or whether that's a good idea or not depending on how you're approaching it, getting some extra insights of, yes, the direct approach is going to get it done. Or in this case, let's slow it down and let's give him some space to see what he's thinking in his head, right? Maybe he does have some valid concerns. Let's hear those out and really establishing a stronger relationship. Cause that's the, that's the whole point of the platform. One is it's accountability, but two, it's finding ways to better connect and establish stronger relationships. If you utilize this tool, you probably know how effective it can be. And I know that myself and other staff members and volunteers who have worked on staff before, we've spent hours pouring over this stuff with groups um, and even with our own expansion staff. And it's amazing the progress you can make from the day that you open it all the way through to the end of a semester, how much progress you can make as an individual when it comes to building those relationships. Well, I think it's, it's just the common theme about every time we talk is that if you're not happy with results, if you're not happy with throwing out uh couple platters of wings and asking guys to show up and hang out and you know giving out 11 bids and seven of them get accepted every year there is always more out there there are always more resources there are always more ways to approach recruitment there's always more help there are experts like the 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 possibilities are endless 
And that's what being a part of this fraternity offers is those connections, whether it's chapter builder, whether it's the fired up certification course, or whether it's just a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, Zach, or with someone else on our staff. But um, please, you know, never hesitate to reach out and, and find out more information because that's what we're here for. And that's what we want to help provide. All right, Zach, always good to hear from you. We will, uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll probably talk to you again next week, I would say. I would imagine so. And I can't wait for it. Can't wait to see what we talk about next Monday. Well, we'll keep it from you until the very end. So you don't have any time to prepare as always. I love it. All right. Talk to you later. Exactly. Adios. Always good to see his face. A welcome addition to the Teak Nation podcast. All right. What were you going to say something? I can't wait to get him on the road. That guy, I know. Yeah, he I, is very. I feel bad for he's him. He's very though. muted for all of our listeners out there. I think he will be much more energized when he is out there on the road, getting after it, getting new folks to join this organization that all of us love so much. So, so can't I mean, wait to all, get him out there. It's almost like going to the zoo and seeing these beautiful creatures just, you know, caged up, and and you just think, man, that tiger should really be out in the wild, just prowling through the jungle, looking for a. Uh, monkey to snatch up and any i don't know if tigers eat monkeys i would imagine if they cross paths a tiger would eat a monkey but that's a whole nother conversation for another yeah day. i think the point but is i think the yeah, point is I, that zach i think i got your point i yeah. got your point i, I think I, i'm interested in whether zach maybe that's the first question for next week does he enjoy being compared to a zoo animal does and he feel we'll like see where it goes. Know, does he feel like a caged animal i bet he does bring him back i'm gonna text him i'm just kidding <laughs> All right, we're going to switch over to our guest profile now. Uh, really excited about this conversation. We have Mark Vukovic joining us. Mark is a graduate of our Pi Iota chapter at the University of Nevada, Reno. And Mark, uh, in, in lockstep with the theme of today's podcast, is uh, not just an avid golfer, but actually a, a, an aspiring professional golfer, somebody who has worked to qualify for some various tournaments, um, won some various tournaments, and uh, just excited to bring him in and talk about his journey chasing after that, uh, that professional golf status. So welcome to Mark. Mark Vukovic coming to us from Nevada. Uh, Mark, are you in Vegas? You actually in Vegas? Yeah, I'm in Las Vegas. Well, that's exciting. That must be nice. First and foremost, so we, we, we previewed a little bit why you're here, what you're going to talk about, but I think what the world wants to know, how is your handicap looking? Uh, right now, it's trending about a plus one plus to one. plus two. Um, my peak right before we got really busy and kind of actually, ironically, during the middle of COVID was trending about a plus six to plus seven at one point on that one. But we've been a little busy, but I'm, I'm maintaining still subpar. And, and plus six, plus seven is for the non-golfers out there pretty good. Uh, so the average person on the PGA Tour <laughs> generally maintains a plus 10 on a normal golf course, but they're considered about plus six on a PGA Tour course, which is set up quite a bit harder than your local uh, country club and or regular golf course that you go to right down the street. So generally about if you're a scratch player, I'm going to still give you probably three to five shots per nine holes. And for an average non-PGA Tour professional like myself, uh, you know, 10, 11, 15, so, you know, somewhere in there is where we, us average Joes hover. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty solid. Um, good work. Wanted to, uh, before we, we get into some of the other questions, can you just give us a two or three minute kind of 
look at your journey in golf and, and how you've gotten to where you are today and maybe some of your accomplishments along the way? Absolutely. So I actually played golf a little bit as a kid and then I worked at Hidden Valley Country Club up in Reno to pay for downhill ski racing. Uh, unfortunately, I sustained a fairly big injury. I won't go into too many details from that, uh, and which resulted in me moving to Las Vegas and about three years into living in Las Vegas, having to have back surgery. At that point in time, a bunch of my Pylanda Teak brothers were actually starting to play golf. I enjoyed the sport, couldn't play, but I wanted to get out of the house and do something other than just school and physical therapy. So I would go hang out with them on the golf course. I would drive the golf cart. I would putt on certain holes. And then as my strength returned over the next year and a half, I started playing more and more. And then I kind of discovered that there's this whole world of amateur golf out there, which gave me an opportunity to be competitive outside of intramurals and back to that level that I enjoyed with downhill ski racing. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into the, the sport of golf. It was never with the intention of actually turning professional. It was just a, a way to be competitive again in my life. Well, I think that's a little unique. You didn't play competitively in college, right? And that seems to be the case for a lot of people who do go professional in golf. Uh, yeah, the, co the college ranks for the top college ranks are definitely uh, where I would recommend anyone go. However, there is alternate paths for, for right. golf as well on top of that outside of just playing in college. I mean, you know, if you play basketball in college at Duke or UNLV or any of the major schools, you're probably going to get a contract to play basketball somewhere in the world if you're halfway good at your position. It may not be the NBA, but you're going to get a contract somewhere. In golf, there is no contracts coming out of collegiate golf. It's something they're working on, but golf is the only sport in the world where you can just up and go, oh, today I decide I'm going to be a professional. You know, I, I can't break par, but I'm a professional golfer and there's no system to actually check it. And then you've spent some time since then, right, trying to go in and, and working to qualify for some pretty large scale events and being very competitive in some of the smaller scale events. Can you just touch on maybe a few of your your bigger wins or bigger achievements in that realm? Absolutely. So I, for anyone that's looking for advice, I would highly recommend starting out just playing at your local golf course when they have a couple fun competitive tournaments just to get your feet wet because you'd be shocked how you put the word tournament in front of the word in front of golf. And it's the great equalizer among all things as a professional golfer versus a caddy versus someone that just likes to play. I mean, I've seen neurotrauma surgeons start shaking over a three foot putt at a local friend tournament. Uh, for me, my advice was always wait till you win, then start looking at moving up. And then once you start winning at that next level, make sure you're taking top fives every single time without having to work very hard at it, then move up again. So I started playing locally and then I started playing the Southern Nevada amateur tournaments. And then I started playing the Southern Nevada. Then I started winning those. Then I started playing the Southern Nevada. Uh, they call it the, the championship flight, which is all scratch for that. So then I won a couple of those. And then I ended up winning the Southern Nevada amateur championship, I believe is 2014. And that's kind of where I got my start. I started playing a couple of professional events as an amateur to kind of test the waters and see what was exactly the next level that I needed to get to before I, I turned professional. Uh, and then after I started taking a couple top fives in that, I ended up turning professional when I signed my first contract from there. I would say probably my two biggest ones is I have two course records, uh, one at Paiute at Snow Mountain, which used to be Annika Sorenson's course record. 
another one over at Mojave Country Club. And I have uh, one professional golf win. And I've been able to go overseas and compete on PGA Tour China at Q School uh, and meet some friends from around the world out there. Can you talk, Mark, a little bit about the the mini tour experience? So for folks who don't know, they, they I think I would imagine that they think about courtesy cars and all the things that the PGA Tour has. I know, but I would love for you to talk about what is that experience like and how different it is for, for some of the events that you've played in and obviously uh, both in the United States and over overseas. So if, you, if you're fortunate enough to actually be able to qualify to go overseas, the experience does get a little bit better. There are people in place such as yourselves that are designed simply to help players manage their schedules, get you from place to place, figure out which hotels you should stay at, provide shuttles, things along those lines. It's all, you still have to pay for all that, but at least it's a little bit more organized and helpful. If you're on just the regular mini tour grind, as I'm sure most, maybe not most people, but a lot of people know, there's quite a few tours in the Midwest. There's quite a few in, in the Southwest United States and a couple over in Florida. That is a hundred percent on you. It's essentially like coming to Vegas, putting a thousand dollars down on the table and hoping you roll snake eyes on that. You're betting a thousand dollars per event that you're going to be able to go out and beat every single other person out there. Uh, so it, it really is quite a bit of a grind on that one. And the things that you kind of learn from that is you have to be able to believe in yourself and what you're capable of. Uh, if, if you're going in there going, well, I don't feel prepared, then you're probably going in there and, and burning a check. And I hate to say that, but you also, as a mini tour player, you have to play for the love of the game, for the love of competition. If you're going into mini tours thinking you're going to make a bunch of money, I hate to say it, you're wrong. On average, I spent anywhere from fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year on mini tour golf, with the net hopes of getting a return of maybe five to seven thousand dollars. So you have to find ways to keep your costs low. If you can find travel partners, I mean, at one point in time, I was living on a fraternity brother's couch because I was traveling so much. I didn't see a point in owning an apartment here in town. So you have you have to find a good support system, and you have to understand that you know, this is people's lives and there will be people that you compete against that will make it all the way to the top. And if you don't think you're working harder than them, they are definitely working harder than you. Mark, I know some of our, our listeners are probably avid golfers. Some of them probably have never picked up a golf club in their life and, and that's okay. Um, but I'm curious, you know, the lessons that you learned to go from somebody who didn't really golf much at all growing up to somebody who's turn professional and, and, and is chasing some of these bigger dreams with golf, you know, what is the, what kind of discipline does that take? I, right. I can go out and practice like once a week and still be terrible at golf. I, I have the proof. Um, what kind of discipline does that take just to train yourself and, and the repetitive actions you have to take every single day, just to get where, where you're a, a plus five or a plus six and you're hoping to place in the top five of a tournament? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Alex, there's no such thing as being terrible at golf. If you're out there having fun with your friends, I, I tell everyone that right away. Um, because that's ultimately, if you're only looking at a scorecard, even as an amateur, it's, that's not the purpose of the game. The game is to get out there with your buddies and have fun, walk, you know, be out outdoors. But, uh, so when I started playing and started really kind of getting into the amateur side of things, I worked 30 hours a week at Beatles love at night from five 30 to 11 30. I spent 52 hours a week on my golf game. So I was working basically an 82 hour work week every single day, as long as the sun or the weather would allow me to. I was also fortunate enough 
that uh, my coach at the time kind of became a lifelong friend. Unfortunately, he, he's moved to Albuquerque now. But along my journey, I've been able to meet other coaches that have, you know, I've formed friendships and relationships with. Now I, I use Bob Duncan up in Oregon. So when I need to go up there, I can, you know, spend a week with him. And if I go up there, we're literally working on things from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. every single night. So it's, it definitely requires a level of, I guess, craziness, <laughs> uh, to, to say the least. But it's also a level of focus that you have to be able to achieve. You know, you can go out there and hit as many golf balls as you want on the range, like you said. But if you don't have a certain plan or a set plan to get better, you're really not going to get much better. I mean, I have notebooks uh, from my lessons that I go back and I review. Usually if I go to the range, I have a very specific detail that I'm working on at that point in time. Uh, so for today, I was working on weight transfer and rotation. And I was doing a lot of, I mean, I only hit 75 golf balls, for example, today. That took me two and a half hours to hit 75 golf balls. Most people can hit 75 golf balls in you know 45 minutes, 30 minutes. But you have to be very detailed almost OCD sometimes. Mark, what's a, I always love to ask our guests stories, right? Anecdotes, things that they have from their travels. And I can only imagine in the, the life that you have lived so far in, in traveling around and, and playing in some of these events, you've got to have some, some good stories. Any you'd like to share with, with all of our listeners? Uh, so I have, I have two of them. One, one of them involves work and the other one kind of being a caddy. Uh, is how I pay for my summer season, essentially. The other one is uh, while I was over in China. So I was, when the first day while I was over in China, they have big signs everywhere. It says PGA Tour China. You have your own private practice facilities. And in China, golf is a very elite sport out there. So they had kids at these academies coming by and just watching and watching and watching. So I go out with my caddy, I'm doing my practice round. And then all of a sudden, uh, my caddy starts talking and I looked around and there's a little kid on the third tee box, maybe seven, eight years old with like a little pen looking really shy because he wanted an autograph. Now I'm not anybody special by any means, but it was, it was a really awesome moment to give the kid a couple tricks on hats. I signed a glove for him and some golf balls, you know, and I, hopefully that made his day and he wants to continue to play in practice. You know, one of the big things I always tell people as a professional golfer is, you should learn to love to play with anyone, no matter their skill set. Because if you're having, fun, if you're teaching them or they're having fun with you, then you're growing the game. If you're growing the game, then that's good for anyone that's a professional athlete. You don't want to be a professional in a sport that nobody likes. My second story was actually uh, 20, 2018. I had been really struggling with with my game at that point in time. That's actually I moved to Oregon for two months to specifically work with a new coach. But I missed the Barracuda at the Monday. Uh, didn't play my, my best golf that day, unfortunately. But they needed a couple caddies for the Pro-Am over there. So I got to caddy for David Duval in a Pro-Am. And about the fourth hole, he comes up to me and he goes, okay, start explaining what's going on here. Because according to my book, with all the technology in it, your reads are completely wrong, but your guys are making everything. And it happened to be a course that I played quite a few times and understood how the mountain and gravity affected the different holes. So having David Duvall ask me for advice as to how to get around the golf course for when he played the following day and the tournament was a pretty cool experience for me because he was a former number one player in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I want to I want to kind of run with that. The the 
the top guys, the PGA Tour guys. I think one of the things that fascinates me so much about the game of golf and really professional sports in general is there's such a fine line between people who are really, really good at basketball, golf, tennis, whatever that is, and people who are elite. And so you, as a, you said, you're a plus six, plus seven handicap at your peak, the Dustin Johnson's Roy McElroy's, you know, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, those guys are plus 10 plus 12. What is it, it that separates, right? When, when I watch Mark Vukovic play golf and I'm like, holy crap, that guy's really good but he's not Rory McIlroy good. Like what is it that separates people at your level from those guys that are at the very top of the world in the sport? Uh, some of it's timing, some of it's training. I mean, if, if you follow golf at all, then you, you've seen, I don't want to say the demise, but you've seen the decline of Jordan Spieth. And all of a sudden this year, he's making a comeback, but it happens to every single person out there. I mean, three years ago, Tiger hit a shank off the tee in, in Dubai. It, it golf is, it's the most complicated game you're ever going to do. You're trying to make a motion at 120 miles an hour to some of the top guys, 130 miles an hour and literally one tenth of a second while hitting a little golf ball and trying to control if it's going to go left, right, up, down on that. How's the wind going to affect it? I mean, Phil Mickelson often said when he looks at a shot, he looks at what kind of grass it is. What kind of is the grain going into him? Is he on a slope? Is he on a down slope? What's the landing zone going to be? Is there any wind? Is there any wind higher than the tree level that he can see? So you have to, I think the best golfers in the world are great at geometry. Um, that's how I visualize a lot of my shots, but ultimately, you know, it's the team, the support team that they have around them at that top level. You know, if they, they know when they're not playing well, what they're looking for, what they need, their, their coach has been with them usually for quite a long time. I mean, even the best golfers in the world, when you look, only Tiger Woods is really the only person that's ever been able to change his swing multiple times with a completely different swing and come back and win on the PGA Tour out there. So golf is just, you know, it's just a tough time. Like even players on tour, they shoot for different peaks at different times. I was talking to Kevin Na about it the other day uh, at Southern Highlands. And he was saying that he really focuses on seven, eight, nine events a year. Those are the ones he has circled on his calendar. The golf course fits his eye. It may not be the longest golf courses out there. So it's going to be a lot of wedge specialty work. And that's the ones that he's going to try, you know, to be at his peak level for, because golf is a long season. You cannot stay at your peak level for day after day, week after week, after week, after week. You know, that's what made Tiger Woods so amazing, you know, being at his peak level for that many years past uh, what anyone else prior to him was ever able to do. But, you know, sometimes you just get in that zone and those those zones are everything's dialed in, everything's working. And it, it's really it's not that big of a difference, to be honest. I mean, you can go out there and I can go watch someone and go, I can hit the same shot as them. I've played with guys in the Corn Ferry. I've played with guys that are on the PGA Tour now. You know, and on average, I would say three to four feet sometimes when I played with them, they're three to, they're always three to four to five feet better than me from the same distance on that. And that, those little, little bits do make a giant difference in your ability to play the game. Mark, one piece you talked about earlier was signing a contract. Can you talk about and illuminate what is that process and signing a contract? Again, I think this is where if, if you're not as involved with golf or not as a big of a fan of golf, when you think about contract, I'm guessing they're thinking some bigger numbers and versus what a lot of these types of contracts are, especially in golf. Can you talk about what those, I know you have a, a few different contracts. Can you talk about those at all? So I have a couple different um, 
sponsors out there. Uh, I have one with Divine Nature Nutrition, which you'll see them a lot on the LPGA tour. So my contract with them is I rep their their stuff. I, I drink their hydration drinks. Um, they're basically their liquid IV or their Gatorade for all my events out there. Uh, it's called Hydro Plus. I love their stuff, but it's not a paid contract coming back to me. It's, I get all my multivitamins. I get my chelated minerals. I get my towel, my towels from them. You know, I get my, my hydration packets, things that are going to help me perform better. It's a very small contract, uh, with Spritz on, for example, uh, that was set up because I know the owner of a shaft company who believes in me and believes I can do well. So my contract with them is I get some golf balls for free, some gloves, some hats monthly, but I still pay for equipment. I just pay for it at a much smaller rate than most other people. Uh, LAB Golf, which is a putter company, was the first company that actually gave me a full sponsored contract. Uh, and once again, that was through another connection that I'd formed and I'd made out there. So it, it's not necessarily going to be giant amounts of money coming your way. You know, I have had contracts for one or two events where I've had people pay for my event entry with a, with a business. It's a business contract. They pay my entry, they pay my hotel, they pay my travel, they pay if I want a caddy while I'm out there. However, automatically they get their expenses back plus 10% of the next two events, you know, or I have friends out there that have made contacts. They have, you know, they sold signed contracts for a hundred thousand dollars and they're on the corn ferry. However, they owe that person that gave them a hundred thousand dollars, 30% of their income for the next 40 years or 30 years or whatever their contract can be. So there's all different kinds of ways to create uh, opportunities for yourself if you're looking, but it's not automatically going to be this giant money deal where you're like, Hey, all my stuff's free. My travel's free. NetJets is hopping on board. You know, you have to, you know, you have to golf your way into those, to those contracts. And luckily golf is, does have that ability. You know, that's why they have Thursday and Monday qualifiers, any single person out there, can give it a run if, if they want to and you know on any given day it can happen for you but even at that point in time you still have to be marketable you still have to be smart with your social media you still have to be doing things outside of golf that show your character hope that kind of answered it <laughs> yeah and, and i think you're you're highlighting just how many you know how many different layers there are the intricacies of of all of this and and it could be professional golf could be another professional sport right it could be trying to go get a, a podcast sponsorship or a, right, a Instagram paid sponsorship, but all the different layers that go into it. One of the things you mentioned was your profile outside of golf. And this is something we talked about a little bit yesterday. And there's a natural tie-in because it is National Volunteer Month and we're celebrating a lot of our volunteers right now. But you have some some causes that are pretty important to you that you feel have kind of helped you as well. And, and the fact that you're involved out, right? Your whole life is in golf. You're giving your time, your energy to other people has has helped you kind of showcase your talents and and get some of these companies on board as well, right? That's correct. I mean, it golf is so hard to find that balance between you have to have enough time to, to prepare. Once you're at a certain level, it's not whether or not you're good enough, it's whether or not you're prepared enough for it, but you also have to be able to have a life outside of golf. If I have a bad day, I can't come home storming and be upset and, you know, let my, have my fiance deal with, with my frustrations out there. You have to be able to compartmentalize things. Uh, when I met her, she sits on the board for the American foundation for suicide prevention. And I, uh, unfortunately just lost a friend that summer in 2018 to suicide. I just spoke at his funeral. 
so instantly there was that connection there when I when I saw what she was doing. So uh, they were able to raise through a couple different events about one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, and it's a national foundation. So every state has their own chapter. She sits on the Nevada side, uh, but I try and do a lot of what I can to help out with that charity, whether it's you know, if she asked me to go to a golf course and see if I can get a donation for four rounds or, you know, four people for a round of golf, and then it can go into the silent auction or whether or not I'm sharing posts or pages and making people aware that there is this issue uh, going on out there. But a lot of, a lot of times that does actually work, um, not necessarily in my favor, but it shows a, a layer of, as you said, character outside of, oh, I want to be a golfer. What can you do for me? It's, you know, yeah, I'm a golf, I'm, you know, my job, my job is to be a professional golfer, you know, my job is to get the ball in the hole, but that's not who I am as a person. And when people start realizing that, you know, you're more than just golf, a lot more opportunities open up for you. Mark, what are any lessons that you learned while being a member of the fraternity? Obviously, you're still a member of the fraternity, but as a collegiate member that you've taken forward and utilized in, in golf? You know, when I, so when I joined uh, Teak, I'm probably a lot of people don't know, I was still in a neck brace from my original ski racing accident. Um, so I, I, the biggest lesson I always try and impart on people is use that opportunity and every advantage that Teak offers you to get out there, go explore, learn about yourself, put yourself out there in different situations, see what you can do. But ultimately just, you know, let the fraternity help you grow. I mean, some of the best things I did were, you know, the Teak Leadership Academy and some of the lessons that I was able to learn there. I was able to go to regional leadership conference in San Francisco. I did a IFC one over in St. Louis. So learning about these different aspects uh, of leadership, how to build a business, how to talk to people on an equal level. You know, it, it's very intimidating sometimes having to go talk to someone about them spending money on you for your dream you know that can be a very uncomfortable situation but learning as a young adult learning how to in these leadership positions take those skill sets that you teach really does help i mean it's all about love charity and esteem essentially on that one and i think esteem maybe for me kind of goes a slightly different different way because it's learning you also have to learn how to you know forgive yourself forgive others you know when you're when you're not performing well, how to be able to still put on a smile and move about your, your daily life. It's no different than if you studied and studied for an exam and all of a sudden you didn't do as well as you, you thought you would, but now you need to learn how to come up with a plan to be better next time around on that. Um, so I really, you know, I highly recommend anyone that gets the chance to apply, go to some of our conferences. You know, the motivational speaking is probably my favorite por portion of all those. That's where I really learned a lot. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I mean, it, it just, again, it goes to show that the fraternity lessons can span any, any number of career paths or dreams or goals or whatever that is. Um, so I think that's tremendous insight. Last question I have for you, Mark, is, is more on the golf side. And I think the, the easiest way to ask it is just if, if there's someone who's early into the game or trying to get into the game, what suggestions do you give them? Do you, do you work with people who are novices at golf and, and how do you go about trying to teach them to at least catch on to the basics of the game and, and go out and have a good time on the golf course? You know, there's uh, such a plethora of information out there. So as I, as I said, uh, I caddy in the spring and in the fall season to pay for my summer and early, early fall for my pro golf. And that's kind of when I hit my peak, 
is those times. So that's when I play the most tournaments. A lot of people I caddy for are, are beginners at that point in time. Rule number one, have fun. Don't get frustrated with it. Don't keep score too often. Hit a lot of second shots. Get out there, see what you can do. Have fun with your friends. But there's also a lot of misinformation out there as well. You know, you have YouTube, blogs, equipment, all these other aspects. So for people that are just getting into the game, I would highly recommend going to your local golf course with a buddy or two, borrowing their clubs, seeing how you like how you like the game before you go buy everything brand new. Out there, there's a lot of great used equipment sites. Once you've discovered, okay, like I enjoy hitting golf balls with them, go find a good set of used used irons from your local golf shop. I'm always about local, just FYI. So stay away from the big box stores. Uh, shop local. Uh, but you know, as long as you can remember to have fun, then you're gonna enjoy the game. I, I play every single Sunday with my fraternity brothers from Pi Lambda, assuming I don't have to work, but usually every other Sunday I can get off and I go play with them and I have fun. You know, there's all kinds of ways you can be, have, play golf. You can be competitive, you can have fun, you can try and challenge yourself. Uh, but for anyone that's getting into it, just remember, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It does take a long time, but get some lessons that really does help when you're first starting out out there. And don't be afraid to reach out to people and ask questions. Don't be afraid to look, look up resources on that one, you know, but go from a trusted source of information. You know, I, I hate to say it quite like this, but your uncle's grandpa that's been playing for 45 years on the end of the range, but he tends to top a lot of them probably isn't going to be the best person for information. But Donnie, I mean, you, we've all heard that person on the range telling someone how to swing on that one. So get some lessons. It really does help you when you're getting started and just go out and have fun. Yeah, there's a reason why, even though they, they do cost money, there's a reason why they're RPJ professionals, because they study, they study the golf swing. And they also have an understanding of how you teach it. So no doubt the guy sitting on the corner of the range is probably not, probably not the guy. He's, he's probably entertaining. At least you hope he is. <laughs> but uh, probably not, probably not the guy you want, you want to take lessons from. Exactly. And if, if you're just the beginner in the group, don't be afraid to ask a couple of your friends to get in on a lesson package as well. So that way it's not just you, you don't have to feel nervous around them. You're with your friends, hang out. And a lot of times you can make golf very affordable by doing that. Plus you're involving other people. I mean, even my fiance who doesn't golf, she has a set of clubs. We'll go out every once in a while just so that we can walk and be outside and talk and chat. And it's not really about the golf. It's about being outside and enjoying my time with someone that I love. So, you know, make sure you have fun. That's always my biggest piece of advice. You know, there will be days that are frustrating, but just remember at the end of the day, you're, you're just hitting a golf ball. It's a game. Yeah. I love that. I think that's, that's perfect, perfect advice and a, a great way to, to wrap it up. Donnie, you can still come to me for, for some pointers if you need them. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. I, I tell you, you know, what, what Mark just shared there, I feel like that's your attitude on the golf course. As many times we played together, you're just, you're out there just having fun, just enjoying hitting the ball. That's, that's, that's you in a nutshell. That is, that is far from, from accurate. <laughs> yeah. If anyone needs any advice on when the perfect timing is to maybe drop an F-bomb on the course or <laughs> I don't know, you know, smash a club into the ground. Uh, I'm your guy. Have it you. is great, Mark, because Alex is, everyone knows him as the fun loving, right? The guy that everybody wants to be around. And he is in almost every single environment. You put a golf club in his hand, man, 
man completely shifts the beast the beast emerges that's the that's the issue dr jekyll and and mr hyde um give you some advice alex go for it i'm i'm all ears and i'm not saying i haven't done this early on or have done it or watched other people do it don't throw the golf club far yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think I've ever actually chucked a club. I think that's the one level I've not achieved yet. Um, I've seen some <laughs> golf clubs thrown, but I, I've never I, Donnie overplays it a little bit. I'm not like a loud, angry golfer. I just get very quiet and just start telling myself I'm an idiot. Usually I'll insult. yeah, yeah, see, I'll, I'll usually yeah. I'll usually tell myself that I'm overweight and that I'm I'm worthless. He um, is. Hey, he hey, is. Hey. That Mark, should be my Mark. that should be my advice for the podcast. Golf leads to a lot of negative self doubts and yep, self. -doubt. It sure does. And you have to learn to turn that around. For example, like we have a corn fairy Monday going on right now. Uh, as as we're speaking, there yep. are people trying to qualify for it. Uh, my friend goes, "So how come you're not playing in it?" And they go, "You're not good enough." And I said, "I told him I was like, no, it's not that I'm not good enough. I'm not prepared enough right now. I know that I'm good enough to do that." but I haven't had the time to prepare to be at my best level. So, you know, you take that, you're not good enough, negative self-talk and you flip the switch on it. And that's one of the big things that I learned while, while antique, especially dealing with all my injuries and and, you know, having my brothers be able to support me while I was in school, you know, you have to, you can't have that attitude of, you know, I'm not good enough or this it's, I'm not prepared enough. There, you know, there's something there that you can turn, turn it around celebrate next time you make that 10 foot putt alex i want a full tiger woods like bump <laughs> on there i mean that's something my my golf coach bob talks about all the time he goes people never actually celebrate a positive and golf is a perfect example of that a 10 foot putt on your local golf course i mean donnie you know for a pj tour player it's about 45 percent give or take on perfect greens it drops to 32 percent on a muni course so alex you gets to play once a week you know, a 10 foot putt is honestly an 18% chance of making or less. So if you make it smile, pat yourself on the back, be like, dang, I did good right there on that. And that's, you know, what I mean by having fun on the golf course and learning, you know, you can really learn a lot about yourself and you can learn a lot about other people on the golf course out there. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's the biggest understatement, right? In terms of psychology, you know, that's, that's the piece where uh, Alex here could use a little Bob Rotella in his life because, that aspect of you have to be your own best friend and you know, some of the greatest, the, some of the, probably the best piece of advice I ever got on the whole psychological piece is when you have a golf club in your hand, you cannot use the word don't. So if you're thinking don't hit it right, your brain doesn't understand the word don't in those situations. All it, all it hears is right. So then you hit it or water or whatever it is. So you literally have to tell yourself, hit it left or hit it, you know, hit a cut down here into the left part of the fair. You have to tell yourself what to do versus walking through and thinking, here's what I don't want to do. And the same piece I, I always think about is if you're walking, right? You don't walk yeah. down the street, like don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. If you if, try it, experiment it, I've done it before. You literally start questioning yourself if you even know how to walk. So <laughs> people get a golf club in their hand, they start doing it like, oh my gosh, don't hit it right. Or okay, hold it tight and turn here. And you know, you start getting into all this technicality and it just gets off the rails quickly. So there's oh, yeah. a lot of psychology in golf, especially competitive golf that you can take into life and how you operate and how you engage and being your own best friend, almost crazy, crazy confidence. And uh, Will Zalatoris, who, you know, uh, yeah. played corn fairy and crushed it. I thought this week he at the masters had a tr phenomenal attitude when he said, I worked so hard to get here. Why would I be nervous or intimidated now? Like he said that, and it just, 
for me, it was one of those things of that guy gets it and more people, even, you know, guys like you and I, we need to utilize that attitude of he works so hard. Yeah. Why should he be intimidated that he's at Augusta? So, um, I use, um, so I, I'm sure might be, a, we'll split the topic here. Keep politics out of it. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, he was the backup quarterback at UNR uh, right after I got out of my neck brace and I started doing student athletic training. So then I kept coming back after I moved to UNLV for their summer camps and we had a chat and he told me, he goes, I'm not nervous before games because I know I've done everything in my power to prepare. So that's, you know, if you know that you're fully prepared, you know, I use that quote. And then I have another, actually, I actually have a member um, who used to own a bank that I caddy for regularly. And he told me one time, living indecisively is the worst possible way you can live as a man. And I wrote that down and it's in my little notebook with all my wedge distance, my chipping distances and different shot heights. There's that quote, don't live indecisively. So when I get over a golf ball, like you said, I have a decisive plan as to how I hit it and what I want to do with the golf ball and the hole and everything else. Uh, but Alex, the reason I said that was one of my friends one time got upset and let a club fly and it was a brand new driver. It's still sitting in a tree somewhere. Never could get it down. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's an art the the more you play this game there is an art to how you throw the you don't want to throw clubs at all right let's make sure we put that public service announcement out there but if you do if you do play this game says from from a young age which i have you'll learn how you throw a club to your point not far and you want to throw it you want to throw it horizontally with the ground you don't want to throw a lot of people want to throw it vertically right you want to throw it horizontally so it hits the ground and just keeps sliding and kind of helicoptering you're good vertically gonna break that club (laughs) Right. This is um, uh, yeah, absolutely. This is good secondary advice. I think uh, I think this is more more a lot of a lot of our listeners tuned. So I'm glad we got there eventually on the club throw tactics. But no, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of great golf advice, and I think a lot of great life advice too. And that's really you know what what we try and do is is take someone who knows a lot about a topic and see how we can apply that topic to just about everything. And I think you've done a great job of that, Mark. So. Can't thank you enough for joining us. Can't thank you enough for your time. Um, best of luck, obviously, with everything in the, the near and the distant future. And hopefully we'll be uh, talking to you again sometime soon. Absolutely. And then, uh, Alex, if anyone that does listen to this had, wants some advice as to how to go or, or what situation, whether it's, hey, I want some advice on club reviews, I'm confused, or I really like amateur golf, but I'm looking at going professional. This is my area. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me. You know, part of the hardest part of being when you start first turning pro is just finding tours and events and things yeah. out there because there's always a new pro tour popping up, you know, and you have, I highly recommend staying with the established ones because those new ones, you know, I, I had to argue and, you know, get a lawyer involved one time to get my check. I made a check at the event, the check bounced that I got. So I'm like, wait a second, where's my, where's my, my prize money? And eventually had to get a lawyer involved to, to get the money back. So you know, if anyone is looking to start playing professionally, I'd be happy to show you some established tours around the country or help you out. If anyone has questions on just swing in general or, or equipment, please reach out to me. I'm always happy to help anyone. And Donnie, Alex, I will see you guys in Vegas, hopefully. We hope I so. Just bedroom open for you. Let's go play some golf. Yes, sir. All right. Do it. Thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Mark.
All right. We want to thank Mark one final time. Once again, it was uh, after we talked to Barry yesterday. I know Donnie mentioned the great thing about this fraternity is you can find an expert and uh, somebody who excels in just about any area imaginable. And I think Mark is a, another great example of that, but also a great example of how you can take things in life and apply them to just about any realm and, and take the lessons he's learned on the golf course and apply them to any profession or uh, business that you could think of. So really appreciate his time and his energy joining us. A couple final notes before we wrap up here on the Teak front. It is Volunteer Appreciation Month. We have continued to mention that, but just want to A, once again, thank all of you out there who are volunteers of Teak Nation. I know there are a lot of you out there who listen. And then B, encourage you to go and, and pass that on. Continue to thank the volunteers in your life, whether they're Teak volunteers, whether they're volunteers in another organization, whether they're volunteers in another walk of, of your life. It's important to let people know that we appreciate them. And so we want to do that from the bottom of our hearts, but also encourage you to do the same because the very nature of volunteering means that you don't get paid for it. You're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. You're giving your time that you could be spending elsewhere, giving back to something bigger than yourself. Um, and then the other thing that's that I want to mention is it is also financial literacy month. So two months that are near and dear to our hearts. Financial literacy, as we know, very important to Teak and to all of our members, but we also want to continue to, to promote the Your Money Vehicle tool that we work with Jed Collins on. Jed joined us on the podcast a couple months ago, so if you didn't listen to that, I'd encourage you to go back and, and give that a listen because it is timely, but also to take the time, go and check that out, educate yourself, and and really become a master of your finances and an expert in that field. That's what that training provides. Any thoughts on the, the two months, Don? Well, we're just, it's one month, it's April, but two months within the one month. We talk a lot around, around this building about the power of volunteers. And it is absolutely critical that we, even though we're an international organization, we're headquarters, we're nationals, whatever label you put upon us, we are a small band of, of folks here working to move the organization forward and achieve its mission. None of that is possible without all of these volunteers. And the, the level of passion and care and love that those volunteers have for the organization is literally at the same level of our professional staffers with some of the folks that we have been so lucky to engage with over the years. So cannot say thank you enough to them and give them enough kudos and uplift them enough during this month. Second aspect on financial literacy, as we mentioned when we talked you know, earlier to Jed Collins, financial literacy is everything because it, it gives you freedom. It gives you opportunity to achieve your dreams, to build the type of lifestyle that you want. And frankly, it's something you want to, you want to educate yourself and continue to educate yourself on. Because again, it just simply, it, even if you say, I don't, I don't care about money, that's okay. But I'm sure there are things that you do care about that money gives you the freedom, the ability, the opportunity to then go and, and achieve or to the, then go and engage your time. So it's always a, a great thing for you to spend the time understanding financial literacy. And for anyone who's not taking advantage of your money vehicle, we encourage you, please, teak.org slash your money vehicle, you know, go to the website, uh, teak.org and put it in the search bar. It'll come up the story where you can click on it and utilize the free code and take advantage of the program. All right, team, another episode in the books. You know what to do now. Once we wrap up here, you got to smash the like button, got to subscribe. You got to tell a friend, 
we're just going to build a checklist and, and send them out to every member of Teak so you know what to do when you're done listening to the Teak Nation podcast every week. Smash the like button, subscribe, tell a friend. From there, you can you can open up the rest of your day as long as you do those three things. So we appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you listening. Uh, always down for suggestions on rule of three, on guests, on topics. Always down to take questions. We want to engage, want to bring you all into this Teak Nation podcast experience. So with that, hope you all have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.